0: Welcome back to the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast with Dr. Philip Ovedia. I'm your host, Jack Heald, and I am so excited to have Dr. Ovedia actually in studio with me today. Um, Welcome, Phil. Thank you, Jack. It's great to actually be here in person with you. Yeah, and and you are... and the, in the city where it all began five years ago. That
1: is true. This is uh, my first time back to Phoenix since uh, the medical conference I attended here about five years ago that I heard Gary Tobbs talk for the first time and literally changed my personal and professional life. That's fantastic. Well, let's talk uh, today.
0: You told me that the USDA just released new Heart health guidelines—is that right?
1: Uh, this is actually the American Heart Association. Oh, American Heart Association released their updated guidelines for you know how people should be eating. How to, how people should be, and certainly
0: nobody is a better uh, is is more uh, widely respected in this regard than the American Heart Association. So let's go through these ten. What do they call it? evidence-based dietary guides to promote? cardiovascular health from your friends at the American Heart Association. Uh, I'll just read them and we'll, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on those. Number one, adjust energy intake and expenditure to achieve and maintain a healthy body weight.
1: Which thoughts? Yeah. So, you know, there is really no evidence that this is an effective dietary strategy, (laughs) Um, you know, and to be still You know, harping on the mantra of calories in, calories out, which is basically what this is, is, you know, simply just ridiculous at this point. And I think this is a great demonstration of why we are at as a society where we are at, Um, because these are the so-called leaders um, these the, are the, the experts thought leaders, the experts. Yeah. That are, are giving advice to people and for them to be starting dietary advice in 2021 with calories in calories out, uh, is really an abomination. Uh, and I can't put it any other way. Um, we're, we're trying to keep this uh, podcast family friendly or else <laughs> I might put it a different way. um, Again, this is the advice that has been given to people now for 40 years. The when you look at the patterns of how people eat, people are largely following this advice. And the results are horrible. You know, we have said on this oh program gosh, many yeah. times that, you know, 88% of adults are uh, metabolically unhealthy. The incidence of obesity is rising exponentially in both adults and children in this country. And, you know, we know that the calorie in, calorie out model, you know, of dieting doesn't work. Uh, And yet here we are uh, with the American Heart Association still giving that same advice. Number one, calories in, calories out. I, I, I will have to tell
0: you on a personal note, the episode we did a while back where you talked about food that leaves you hungry, and when you explained that it's not the amount of calories you ingest that causes your brain to say, okay, I'm full. It's the nutrition. That changed the way my fiance and I eat. That that little insight right there, it, uh, for some reason, it just clicked for me. And, and her, she as well. Um, and we have very consciously... Made a huge change, um, in the the what we buy when we go to the grocery store and what we eat when we sit down at the table. Um, so I thank you for that. We we aren't counting, counting calories, but we are. What we are doing is, I love your rule. You should be able to tell what's in it by looking at it. I think that's a great. A great piece of guidance. Okay. Uh, American Heart Association rule number two, guidance number two, eat plenty of fruits and vegetables, choose a wide variety.
1: Yeah, again, you know, when you look at the evidence behind fruits and vegetables as a dietary uh, strategy, it, it the only merit that it really has is, you know, what are you eating these fruits and vegetables instead of? Uh, So if you are eating fruits and vegetables instead of, you know, processed food, um, I think that makes sense as a dietary strategy. Um, The implication, however, has always been that you need to eat fruits and vegetables. And again, we've discussed the carnivore diet at length, uh, and we have plenty of evidence showing that people can be healthy uh, for the long term on a carnivore diet without eating any fruits and vegetables. Uh, So, you know, this one I would say I sort of agree with, um, but, you know, it's really, uh, again, I don't think it's a good way to base your dietary strategy off of. you got to put it in context. Yes,
0: exactly. And I'd like to remind people, um, you've been essentially carnivore for two and a half years. I'm looking at him, folks. This dude is healthy as a horse. Um, And, you know, after seeing your before photos when you were horribly obese, wow. Wow. You've actually persuaded me, or this conversation that we've had has persuaded me to try carnivore after the holidays. All right.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I would, you know, I would say that uh, I was eating plenty of fruits and vegetables when I was obese and unhealthy. Ooh, there you go. Um, you know, it just, it, I again, I, fruits and vegetables aren't magic by themselves. They're not going to cancel out the rest of the junk that you're eating in your diet. Is the bottom line, and that's sort of the implication of this is that as long as you eat fruits and vegetables you're going to be fine, and that's simply not true. I had
0: a bag of Doritos and an apple. Right.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, and many people, unfortunately, (laughs) think that way. Uh, So, um, you know, that is the problem with with that, you know, advice.
0: Is it accurate to say that fruits and vegetables in the grand scheme of eating are not nutritionally dense?
1: They really aren't, you know, when you compare them to— animal products for instance uh you know so we always talk about you know all of the vitamins and stuff that are in vegetables uh in particular and the reality is is that you know a lot of that is poorly absorbed by us as humans um our digestional you know our gastrointestinal tract our digestive system is really not geared towards breaking down uh plant matter you know, when you look at I'm thinking I, of I'm thinking of a, an episode
0: of Parks and Recreation where Ron Swanson goes to a steakhouse and they bring him a salad, which uh, conventional wisdom says is healthy. And he looks at it and he says, what is this? You're you're bringing me my food's food.
1: Exactly. Uh, you know, when you look at ruminant animals there, they are designed to be able to eat plant matter. Uh, humans, not so much. But again, we've talked about you can construct a healthy diet around, you know, in a plant-based manner and around vegetables. It just takes a lot of work. You end up having to eat a lot more food on sort of a volume basis uh, because that food isn't as nutritionally dense.
0: Okay, I'm I'm glad that just occurred to me, and I'm glad we we nailed that down. American Heart Association guideline number three, choose foods made mostly, oh, you're going to love this one, with whole grains rather than refined grains.
1: Yeah, again, you know, this is just uh, advice that I think is benefiting no one except the food industry. Um, I guess, you know, again, trying to find some positives in this Uh the less refined the grains that you're eating, the better. I would agree with that. So when they say whole grains as opposed to refined grains, uh, maybe that's a little bit of an improvement. Uh, but again, you know, we know that, you know, the food pyramid, which is based on eating these whole grains that are supposed to be keeping us all healthy is not doing that. Uh, the, the, uh, The outcomes of this advice, again, which has been largely unchanged for the past 20 years, uh, is not good at all. And it's all around us, and it's in our faces every day. And yet, here we are with our leading societies continuing to repackage and give the same advice.
0: Can I take us down a rabbit trail just a little bit? Um, I've seen this phrase a lot, evidence-based. Now that seems that seems to be uh self-evident what it is. That's self-explanatory, evidence-based. And yet you're saying there isn't any evidence that this actually works. So what does that phrase what's that phrase really mean?
1: Well, again, you know, the vast majority of our evidence, in quotes, I'll put it, you know, around nutrition comes from very poorly done scientific studies, um, mostly what we call epidemiologic studies, where you ask people what they ate and you try and correlate it to their health outcomes.
0: This goes back to those surveys you talked Correct. about previously.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, um, and, you know, it is acknowledged in the scientific community that epidemiologic studies are not adequate to prove anything scientifically. They're only supposed to. Basically suggest further directions of research, yet in the nutritional field, for whatever reason, these are the studies that we base you know almost all of our recommendations on and so we're
0: basing the we're basing these formal recommendations essentially on the results from asking people what they ate with the full knowledge that if you ask someone what they ate and they know what they're in, the reason they're answering they're gonna lie about the amount of crap that they ate and 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 exaggerate the amount of good foods that they ate we know this and yet that's holy smokes i'm sorry right. I'm, I'm ranting a little bit here but
1: and the other you know the other problem with these types of studies is that it doesn't account for Everything else that those people do, um, you know, and what other things they do in their life that might be healthy or not healthy. Uh, And then, you know, when you look at guidelines such as this from societies, what tends to happen is they gather, you know, the experts, again, in sort of air quotes, quotes. uh, the people who write these studies for the most part, um, which oftentimes have a lot of ties to the food industry itself. Uh, or they've just you know established their scientific careers on these ideas, and they end up just you know repackaging a lot of the same data and publishing it over and over and Now so we have a large volume of you know again evidence uh that 's in air quotes in air quotes that that purports to you know show that these recommendations make sense, but it's all just a lot of circular logic <laughs> yes. in the end yes yeah
0: i understand okay you, you know the thing that alarms me the most really is is how many of these studies are funded by companies that profit from a particular outcome and scientists and researchers aren't dummies and they're none of them are independently wealthy and so there is a built-in incentive to arrive at a particular conclusion and a disincentive to arrive at some other conclusions. Right. And it's, that's, you know, you're one of the few people I've ever heard talk about this.
1: Yeah. And when you look at the funding of the American Heart Association, it largely comes from food companies and pharmaceutical companies. And we're not talking
0: about Bob's Farmers Market.
1: No, we're talking about the big, you know, the big food and pharmaceutical Conagra companies. And, and yep. Yeah, okay. Coca Cola is a major uh, supporter <laughs> of the American Heart Association. <laughs> that's that's rich. It it
0: oh, it really Lord. is. Um, and the world's largest seller of sugar
1: water. <laughs> yeah. It, it and, and you know the whole it, you can find. How the whole system is captured, you know, because the scientific journals that these studies need to get published in, you know, for for the work, you know, whatever you're trying to get out there, uh, you know, the editorial boards of these journals that are selecting what science gets published and what doesn't get published are these same people who sit on these committees and are, you know, supported by the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry. And so, you know, if you do do a great, you know, very, um, you know, very well done scientific study that comes to different conclusions that are than what are in these recommendations, it's not uncommon that those studies can't get published uh, the journals won't let them in, basically. Wow! Uh, so the whole system is really geared towards reinforcing, you know, these ideas. Wow! Uh,
0: you know, you've 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 said this a couple of times already, but the the full weight of it, I don't think, has really hit me. the The sheer degree of let's call it what it is, corruption in these trusted institutions. Okay, that's a that's a another episode that may be a different podcast. All right, uh, American Heart Association uh, Dietary Guideline Number Four: Choose healthy sources of protein, and it works this way. Uh, they've got four sub subcategories here: A, mostly protein from plants, legumes, and nuts; B, fish and seafood; C. Low-fat or fat-free dairy products instead of full-fat dairy products. I could rant about that one. And D, uh, if meat or poultry are desired, choose lean cuts and avoid processed forms. So let's just take this from uh, 4A, mostly protein from from plants.
1: Yeah, again, this is a, um, you know... This is a ridiculous recommendation flat out. Um we as humans it is very difficult for us to get adequate protein from plants alone. Um and you know as we talked about when we you know talked about vegan and vegetarian diets it can be done but it's very challenging. However, there are certain essential amino acids. That means that these are you know, amino acids—the building blocks for our bodies—that uh, cannot be getting, cannot be you know found in plant products alone. So again, when you look at the problems that come up with you know plant-based diets, it's that there are certain essential amino acids that you simply can't get uh, from plants, and you end up having to supplement it. So to suggest that the majority of our protein intake should be coming from plants uh, is just ignoring, you know, our evolutionary biology at its most basic. And um, there's really, again, all of these, you know, what's common about these four sort of sub-recommendations about where to get your protein from is it's all based on, again, this unfounded fear of saturated fat. Uh, and, you know, the only reason to, I guess, recommend against getting your protein from animal sources is because they are so overly concerned about, you know, the natural animal fats that typically are going to come with those proteins. And we'll we'll see that more as we go through the rest of these recommendations. So
0: uh, recommendation 4B, get your... Healthy sources of protein from fish and seafood.
1: Now, this is the this is one of the few you know parts of these recommendations that I can actually agree with. Um, you know, I think fish and seafood is a very healthy part of you know any dietary strategy. Uh, I think it is a great source of uh, you know protein, uh, especially for people who you know for whatever reason, ethical or religious reasons, are avoiding you know meat. Uh, I always, you know, recommend encouraging, I always recommend incorporating seafood into the diet, and I do agree that seafood is a very good source of uh, protein, and it's one of those things that we see shows up in many of the healthy dietary strategies that have been put out there, like the Mediterranean diet, like the paleo diet, and like the carnivore, you know, diet, they all include seafood and, and fish.
0: So, way to go, AHA! You've got, got you've one, got one out of yes. out of six here. You got one that that is actually makes sense. C. I really want to hear your thoughts on this: low-fat or fat-free dairy products instead of full-fat dairy products.
1: Yeah. Again, you know. So basically, what they are recommending here is that you eat, you know, processed foods because dairy. As it occurs naturally is full fat, uh, and there's a reason for that. You know that that's how nature designed it, or or you know whatever your view of the world is, whether it's evolution or creation. Um, you know that's what we ended up with.
0: I want to I want to underline what you just said. Advocating for low fat or fat free dairy is
1: advocating processed foods. Correct. Because when you take the fat out of the, first of all, you have to process it to take the fat out of it. And then you have to replace that fat with something. And if you're not going to use fat, it's going to be sugar and carbohydrates. So, you know, all of these low-fat dairy products are higher in sugar and carbohydrates than their natural counterparts. And so here we are with basically a recommendation from the American Heart Association to eat more sugar.
0: I, <laughs> I'm, I'm just speechless. No, that's not true. I can't say the things that I'm really thinking. All right. 4D, if meat or poultry are desired, and frankly, who doesn't desire meat and poultry, choose lean cuts and avoid processed forms.
1: Yeah, so again, you know, here we are with the, first of all, the implication that, you know, meat and poultry uh, should not be consumed. Uh, They're the least desirable form of protein. protein, Which, again, goes completely against our millions and millions of years of evolution as humans. And then, you know, to sort of add insult to injury with this (laughs) recommendation, they then say, if you're going to eat it, you know... You should eat low-fat forms of it, Um, you know, which, again, is just not based in good science. Uh, This is all around this ill-conceived notion that saturated fat uh, is harmful to us. And quite frankly, that has been debunked thoroughly. You know, the most recent... The
0: idea that saturated fat is unhealthy. Correct. That has been...
1: Yeah. When you look at the most recent, um, you know, uh, U.S. dietary guidelines, uh, even they admit um, that saturated fat was not a nutrient of concern. There was not adequate evidence, they say, to uh, limit, to suggest limiting saturated fat in the diet. Uh, So, you know, again, the American Heart Association is so focused on LDL cholesterol, uh, on lowering LDL cholesterol, that all of these recommendations that they're making here, uh, you know, are based, have that as their basis. So the only reason to suggest, you know, lower fat animal products, lean proteins, lean meats, as they put it, uh, over, you know, I guess non lean meats, full fat meats, whatever you want to call them, uh, is because some studies, and again, this is an inconsistent finding, but some studies have shown that you can lower your LDL cholesterol if you eat less saturated animal fats.
0: Um, and, and yet, your position is the LDL cholesterol, whatever number that is, is largely irrelevant
1: to heart health. Correct. Well, my you know contention, and and you know again, many others share the same uh, thought is that. If you are metabolically healthy, the LDL cholesterol uh, is an irrelevant uh, factor and that we shouldn't be focused. The way to most effectively prevent heart disease is to focus on remaining metabolically healthy and then you don't have to be concerned about the LDL cholesterol.
0: So would it, is it a valid analogy to say that the, the number that you see on the LDL cholesterol only has meaning if you're not metabolically healthy anyway. And furthermore, assuming you're not metabolically healthy, lowering that number won't necessarily, in fact, probably won't change your metabolic health. All it's doing is lowering a number. It's like resetting the the dial on your on your speedometer. Oh, it says you're going eighty. Well, we'll just move the speedometer a little bit so it looks like you're going 55. Is is that a
1: yeah that's that's essentially it you know if you are not going to focus on metabolic health, which is again consistently shown to be the biggest risk factor for heart disease um, so if you are not going to focus on metabolic health, um, what we know from the data is that lowering your LDL cholesterol has a minor impact on the incidence of heart disease and the outcomes of heart disease um and you know again here we are you know 30 years into this advice being given by the American Heart Association actually their their concerns around saturated fat go back even further uh you know this idea originated in the 1950s essentially um and yet the incidence of heart disease uh you know continues to to rise continues to worsen you know heart disease remains the number one killer in the united states and worldwide despite them giving this advice for the past 50 years despite the fact that we as a society eat less saturated fat you know than we ever did historically and our incidence of heart disease is not being meaningfully changed by it
0: yeah i'm not, I'm not a scientist uh but even I can see if, if a population follows a particular dietary advice that is supposed to solve a particular problem and does so for 40 years. I remember this starting at least no later than the early 80s. And 40 years later, the evidence, and I, whether that's air quotes or not, I don't know, is that the problem that it allegedly was supposed to solve hasn't been solved. In fact, the needle hasn't moved. If anything, it may be worse. Even I can tell, hmm, whatever it was they were telling us to do, that ain't working. I can tell that. I'm a musician. I'm not a scientist. But I can tell that.
1: Yeah, I I think (sighs) I remember something about some very smart guy once saying that the definition of insanity is repeating the same behavior and expecting different outcomes. You
0: know I I had one other thought and this is just little, my little rule of thumb about food um anytime I see the word low fat I just substitute the word no taste <laughs> all the all the good stuff is inside the saturated fat everything that makes it taste delicious that may not be a doctor o approved statement but
1: well it really is because again you know low fat first of all means processed that means that they've done something to alter the natural form of that food and when you take out the fat, the only way to get flavor in there is with sugar, you know, carbohydrates, fake ingredients. And so, you know, to me, low fat just implies processed and yeah. should not be eaten. Yep.
0: That's why I like dark meat chicken instead of the, the white meat. I know I'm in, in the, the minority, but the trust me, folks, the dark meat tastes better. Okay. Uh, number five. Oh dear Lord! We're we're again, only halfway through again. These. I'm a musician, and I know this is insane. Use liquid plant oils rather than tropical oils, coconut, palm, and palm kernel. Animal fats, for example, butter and lard, and partially hydroge- partially hydrogenated fats. Use liquid plant oils rather than all these other things. Fire away, Doc.
1: Yeah. So this is really probably what I would say is the worst of their recommendations. And again, the science. So I'm guessing Archer Daniels
0: Midland probably had something to do with this recommendation.
1: It's, it's hard to say how they come to this conclusion without, you know, undue evidence from the food industry. The science that's, you know, Basically, the only effect that has been consistently shown by substituting processed polyunsaturated, you know, vegetable oils and and realize that, you know, these are are even calling them vegetable oils is, uh, you know, a marketing trick um, because they really, you know, don't come from, you know, they have no relation to the vegetable that they may have originally come from. Uh, Most of them originally come from corn and soy. The only effect of that is that it lowers your LDL cholesterol. And again, you know... The The only allegedly positive effect. Yeah, the only allegedly positive effect. When you look at probably, you know, the best scientific study done on this topic, it was called the Minnesota Coronary Experiment. And basically, this was done in the, you know, 1960s, where they had inpatients at uh, psychiatric facilities in Minnesota, and they were able to very tightly control their diets, and they divided the population in half, and half of them had, you know, what was the standard diet of the time, with mostly anima- animal-based saturated fats, butter, uh, with, you know, being primary. And then they took half of them and they put them on a polyunsaturated, uh, you know, based butter substitute that they created. And they, they it was a very, you know, very well done study because they were able to formulate this butter substitute. In a way that you could not tell the difference, you know, when you were eating it. So the people did not know which diet they were on, and the scientists, you know, kind of monitoring this did not know which diet the people so that were was on.
0: Technically, double blind. I yeah, guess. it was
1: basically a double blinded nutritional study. It's basically probably the largest double blinded nutritional study ever done. And at the end of the study, they found that. The LDL cholesterol was lower in the group eating the polyunsaturated fat diet. However, there was no change in the cardiovascular mortality, so no change in the number of people that died of heart related reasons. And overall, the group that was eating the polyunsaturated, you know, substituted diet, more of those people had died than the people eating the natural saturated fat diet.
0: So here's the bottom line, folks. You can eat the stuff that doesn't taste good and still die or you can eat the real thing. Yeah. And well, you're so you, going to die either way, but one way or another...
1: Basically, oh, what God. the study shows is that you'll lower your LDL cholesterol and increase your chance of dying. Um <laughs>
0: I'm so, I shouldn't laugh, but okay. Uh, if you're a listener, a regular listener to this podcast, you know that seed oils are are poison. Uh, the fact that the American Heart Association doesn't know that should remove any doubt in your mind that the American Heart Association deserves any of your attention whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would really say that having this recommendation in these guidelines basically negates, you know, the the entire whatever else they recommend. You know, if they would still be recommending this in 2021, uh, then as you said, there is really no reason to pay attention to any of the recommendations they that have, they are They making. have
0: lost their their author their moral and scientific authority by making this kind of recommendation. Excellent. All right. Uh numbers we're on number six now. Choose mentally <laughs> Minimally processed foods instead of ultra processed foods. Now that seems like a good recommendation. Yeah. That kind of sounds like hit yourself in the face with a three-pound sledgehammer instead of an eight-pound sledgehammer.
1: Exactly. That's a that's that's good advice. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, you know, this is another one that I guess I give them sort of half credit for because, you know, minimally processed is probably better than ultra processed. But it's all garbage in the end, and we should be eating whole real food. And for the American Heart Association, you know, why wouldn't they say eat whole real food? You know, they say eat fruits and vegetables, uh, uh, you know, was one of the prior recommendations. And the reason that they can't come out and say eat whole real food is because that would, you know, completely invalidate the, the prior recommendation of eating, you know, vegetable and seed oils instead of natural animal fats uh so again um i don't know any you know nutritional recommendations that you know don't start any you know worthwhile nutritional recommendations i should say that doesn't start with eat whole real food and as we talked about in in one of the prior episodes where we went through all the different dietary strategies what's common in the dietary strategies that work is that they are based on eating whole real food. So to come out with a recommendation that says eat slightly less processed food, uh, again, is just, you know, it, it, I, I truly can't understand how they, you know, can come out, how they can publish such a recommendation.
0: I'm just shaking my head. Oh boy. This is this is getting painful to work our way through. Number 7. Minimize intake of beverages and foods with added sugars. Fair enough.
1: Yeah, I mean this one again, I, you know, agree with, although I would say eliminate beverages that have added sugars. There is no reason to be eating you know or drinking i guess you should say sugar sweetened beverages what about they're, the what about the artificially sweetened stuff yeah again you know what no one has ever shown that to be of a benefit you know the only benefit to artificially sweetened beverages is they're not sugar sweetened beverages but again there's no you know no one has ever shown any positive health effects from you know sugar substituted beverages And I advise, you know, the people that I work with to eliminate them completely. I will tell them if you need the sugar, the sugar substitute as sort of a temporary, you know, weaning uh, technique to get you off of the sugar sweetened beverages, I'm okay with that in the short term. But over the long term, there is clearly no benefit to our health to eating, you know, to drinking sugar substitutes. And it's best just to eliminate all of these things uh, from your diet completely.
0: Now, my understanding uh, and again, I'm a musician, so <laughs> don't take your dietary advice from me, but my understanding is that all of the sugar substitutes, your your body recognizes them as something that needs insulin to be processed anyway. So whether it's sugar or a sugar substitute, you're still getting an insulin dump when you when you ingest those and that decreases your insulin sensitivity which leads directly to poor metabolic health. Am I am I getting
1: that right? Well, basically what the sugar what the sugar substitutes end up doing is signaling to your body that, you know, there's food coming in, but there's no nutrition associated with that. So, you know, you're right, there is an insulin response to these, and then your blood sugar is going to drop because of the insulin response, and your body is going to say, you know, we better eat something more. We better, you know, find something with nutrition in it, and it's been a fairly consistent finding that people who consume a lot of sugar substitutes end up eating more to kind of make up for that.
0: You know, I I haven't thought of this as causal, but I have observed, um, you see obese people drinking sugar-free sodas. I see sugar-free sodas in the hands of obese people all the time. And, uh, you know, I've observed this over years with people who, I'm not going to go down that road. Okay, enough yeah, of that. In, in,
1: I mean, in the end, you know, the only benefit to these sugar substitutes is to the food industry. You know, when the food industry— That's a good point. Yeah, when the food industry was basically, you know, could no longer hide the fact that sugar was very damaging to our health, they came out with these sugar substitutes— To try and make it appear like they were, you know, doing something that would benefit health,
0: which are all highly processed. They're all very, yeah. You can't go out into the jungle and and chop down a a
1: a saccharin tree. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, Uh, And, and by the way, you know, this just brings up again the fact that look who the one of the largest sponsors of the American Heart Association is Coca Cola. And Pepsi is also not far behind them as well. So, you know, you can see how these might, how this might make it into these recommendations. Holy smokes.
0: This one I know from personal experience is just nutso. Choose and prepare foods with little or no salt. I'm, I'm gonna comment before you do. First of all, salt makes every, almost everything taste better. Secondly, I'm someone who has had a condition where this recommendation, if I'd have followed it religiously, I very well might be dead. I certainly wouldn't be healthy. I add salt to drinks. I pour the salt in. Look at me. Am I, I'm not suffering in that. Okay. So you heard from the musician. Now let's hear from the physician.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, the concern around salt has basically come from the fact that the majority of the salt that's consumed in the American diet, the Western diet, is in processed foods. And so... Hello, Doritos. Yes, exactly. Uh, So, you know, increased salt intake in these processed foods does clearly correlate with bad health. But it's not because of the salt. It's because of what the salt is coming in. And it turns out when you really look at you know our health, one of the issues with it is most of us are deficient in the minerals and the electrolytes that come in salt, come in good salt. Uh, because one of the other things I always talk to people about around salt is that the standard table salt— that you know you buy the the you know not calling out the Mordens brand in particular, but you know the mordens table salt that's that's ubiquitous uh or you know the salt that's going to be on the table at most restaurants is pr- another processed food that salt has been processed, and that processing strips out a lot of the beneficial minerals and nutrients and as
0: a, and I will say as somebody who is a a bit of a foodie. It's not as it's not it's not as good. It doesn't taste
1: good. It really isn't. And so when you get yourself a good, high quality sea salt or Himalayan salt, you know, uh, one of these salts that is still in its natural form and has all these you know essential vi- nutrients and minerals in it, uh, th- you are getting you know a beneficial substance to your body, and I see no reason to restrict that.
0: I, I can say parenthetically, when I first ran into this difference between table salt and all the other kinds of gourmet salts, I was shocked at the price difference. Cause of, you know, like a, I want to say a 16 ounce bottle of Morton's table salt was like 87 cents and a 16 ounce bag of Himalayan salt was like $5 and I was, oh my God, this is five times more expensive. And then I did two things. Number one, I tasted it and was like, holy smokes, there really is a difference. And the other thing is we're talking about a four dollar difference over the course of a year. So <laughs> I went, eh, I can spend an additional four dollars a year for my salt. That won't be a problem.
1: Yeah, I, I think ultimately it's a good investment in your health to, you know, pay for the uh the sea salt. Uh, versus the you know overly processed table salt. Yeah. All right. I
0: love it. Uh, no, we're we're getting there, Doc. Number nine. If you do not drink alcohol, do not start. If you choose to drink alcohol, limit intake bloody geniuses there at the american heart association
1: yeah again this is one that i i, I can't really argue with i i guess they you know even uh what's the even apparently, a blind squirrel finds appar- a nut once <laughs> in a while right apparently the alcohol manufacturers aren't sponsoring the aha yes apparently they haven't donated enough to the american heart association um you know I, again i agree with this you know alcohol is not beneficial to our health uh i think if you are going to consume it it should be done in limited amounts and you know you should also be careful about the types of alcohol that you're consuming uh you know i personally um recommend you know the the low carbohydrate alcohols you know because you know adding sugar to your alcohol is again not going to be a, a a positive thing uh, it's basically now a sugar-sweetened alcoholic beverage as opposed to a non-alcoholic sugar-sweetened beverage. And so, you know, I-, I think there are certainly better alcohols to consume if you are going to. But the reality is, is that the best alcohol to drink is no alcohol at all.
0: Oh, Doc, you're breaking my heart there.
1: But, uh, you know, I do occasionally consume alcohol <laughs> full ex- full. Uh, you know, disclosure.
0: Well, I will, I will, in my defense, I will say, uh, I, I read, no, I didn't read it. I saw this, I saw this online a friend of mine owns a distillery and does, uh, I think, sh- I think he's got the world's largest whiskey podcast or whiskey, uh, YouTube channel. I think this is where I saw it utterly irrelevant. Apparently somebody said, I wonder if, if spirits, can be used as disinfectants. And so they used, uh, you know, the various uh, uh, alcohols that you find at a bar in the well, you know, whiskey and vodka and rum and gin and what am I forgetting, tequila, and uh, used them to clean the bar and then actually came back and tested them for germs. And apparently only whiskey kills everything. And as as a whiskey aficionado, I took that as a very good sign that my my appreciation for whiskey is is firmly grounded in science. <laughs> okay. I may have just completely invalidated everything I have to say here. Number 10, adhere to this guidance regardless of where food is prepared or consumed. I don't even understand that.
1: Yeah, this was their, them basically saying, you you know, that you should follow these recommendations both when you're preparing your food at home and eating out in restaurants. Uh, so, you know, again, I would say, yes, you should try and eat healthy both at home and when you're eating out. Uh, so the location but,
0: where you consume your calories doesn't change the quality of the calories.
1: Correct. Huh. Correct. Um, but you know, I, I wouldn't follow, you know, the vast majority of the nine recommendations that were above this, whether you're at home or in a restaurant,
0: here's how I think this came down. They sat down to make the new list. They came up with nine things and somebody in the marketing department said, Oh no, you need 10. So that's where number 10 came from. Okay. Wow. This was both entertaining and horrifying. I'm really glad we did this. The bottom line, folks, just in case you didn't get it, is the American Heart Association is an utterly, completely unreliable source of advice for how to take care of your heart. Now, I said it. Does Dr. Ovedia agree?
1: And what I would say is the American Heart Association has been giving this evidence essentially unchanged for the past 30 years, and we see the results of that all around us. So, you know, uh, ultimately, everyone needs to decide for themselves if they want to continue to follow this advice and continue to get the outcomes that it produces, or if you want to consider the alternative advice, um, you know, that I and many others have been giving.
0: You heard it here. Dr. Ovedia, thank you. Great show. Uh, for Dr. Philip Ovedia, I'm Jack Heald. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. You can follow Dr. O on Twitter at iFixHearts and uh, visit his website, OvediaHeartHealth.com. We'll talk to you next time.